you are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast. Happy Mother's Day. Everybody doing all right? So I also want to uh, say a big thank you to uh, to our men's group who kind of led um, the work cleanup day yesterday, but then all the young families. What I was so impressed with is the little guys came out with their parents and they were a big help too. And so it was a fun day um, spreading mulch and doing a lot of fun things. So uh, yeah, be looking out for next year on the work day and, and we would love for you to come join us. It's, it's always a great time. Well, we are on this Gospel of John um, message series. And if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn there and... Um, if it's okay, can you take this out of the monitors for me as well, John Luca? Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so if you turn to the uh, the book of John, we're going through this um, study. We're going to do, we do an overview, and then uh, what we'll end up doing, uh, got to keep talking, got to keep talking. Are you able to put that, pull that out, John Luca? Okay. Thank you. I'm just distracted hearing myself talk to myself back here. And so it's all me, not him. It's, uh, it's me on that. And he's going to say, we'll have a solution. We'll just un, we'll just turn it off. There we go. Thank you so much. Well, while he's doing that, let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for uh, your presence being here. We thank you for speaking to our hearts. And uh, Lord, we just love you so much that we came to this place today, um, maybe some burdened, maybe some stressed out, maybe some just confused in life, unsure. And we come into your presence and it seems to make everything right. Lord, we just are so grateful for who you are, um, that you're consistent, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that consistency is what we stand on. You are our bedrock. You are our foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you know what? It's so awesome to see young people serving. Uh, huge responsibility for, for young guys like Jean Luca to be on the soundboard. Just give him a big round of applause. Thank you. You know, we have to, they, the young people are the future, right, of what Jesus is doing. And so investing in our young people, you never go wrong in doing that. So thank you, Jean Luca and others for serving. And all the, the youngsters here, and I saw, call them youngsters, they're younger than me on worship as well. Um, so it's just, it's so incredible to see our young people serving the Lord. Okay. So last week we talked about, um, that Jesus was revealing himself through these um, different accounts that really related to Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books that Moses wrote. And uh, we talked about a wedding, we talked about a temple, we talked about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, a teacher or a Pharisee, a rabbi, um, and then the woman at the well, and, and these, these things are institutions that were, um, that were kind of really strong in Jewish culture, and Jesus kind of talked about himself in those. We're going to kind of do another survey a little bit, um, going from 
uh, John chapter 5 all the way through John 10. And we're going to be talking about how um, Jesus describes himself or these encounters with these um, four Jewish feasts. Now, you have to understand, we'll, we'll give some context to, you know, we're considered Gentiles, by the way. We've been grafted in, we're adopted into the family of God. So Jesus himself was a Jew, came to, to, into the world of, of the Jewish culture and, um, intersected initially, but then we found that Jesus came for all people, just not a chosen, uh, race or a chosen people. It came for all people. So, um, starting in John chapter 5, Jesus makes these claims, makes these statements of who he is, and some people really struggle with it. Now, I'm going to place yourselves a little bit in this story. I want you to think back to uh, maybe the context of these stories or these accounts, these historical accounts. These are true historical accounts that took place. And I want you to place yourself there and say, would I believe in Jesus at that moment? Would I believe in Jesus, some of the claims he would have? Where would you be? Would you be the one to accept him? Or would you be like, this guy's crazy? All right, so Jesus, first story we're going to talk about, the account was, this was the account of Jesus on the Sabbath heals a paralyzed man. Now, Ten Commandments, right? So early on, God gave ten laws for um, his people to follow. And one of those Ten Commandments that used to be in all of our institutions, our schools, our courthouses, is thou shalt not work on the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? And so Jesus heals a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, and then he makes this claim. My father is working on the Sabbath, and therefore so must I. In other words, my father wanted to heal that guy, and so I'm, I'm doing what the father says. A couple things with that. People are realizing that who's this guy who says God is his father, number one, and then, you know, he's breaking the law by healing on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees, the religious people, the churchgoers of the time, says, well, he deserves to die. That's blasphemy. How could this person be saying that? All right. Next, we go into this idea that, that, uh, the Passover. So the Sabbath, that's a, that's kind of a Jewish, uh, remembrance and feast of, of remembering what Jesus had done in the Old Testament, the law. Then we go to the Passover. The Passover is a time, it's a feast where they remember and recount the Exodus. Remember the, the children of Israel um, being set free from Egypt. Now, the Exodus story in Passover, it's interesting, they would always um, have unleavened bread. So um, bread that hadn't had a chance to rise yet. And the reason for that was, remember the last plague that, that there would be, um, if you put the lamb's blood over your doorposts, you would be saved from the firstborn being the angel of death would be killing all the firstborn babies. And, and those would be saved, but then you, they would have to leave quickly to leave Egypt. And so they didn't have a chance for their bread to rise. 
So it goes. And so that's why they celebrate with unleavened bread to realize the quickness of how they had to respond to flee Egypt. But then Jesus makes this claim that he is the bread of life and whoever eats me will find eternal life. That's in John 6, 35. All right, so kind of weird, right? Jesus is saying whoever eats me will have eternal life, talking that he is the bread of life. All right, put yourself in the story again. Somebody comes in here and stands upon the platform and says, all right, guys, I'm it. If you eat my flesh, you will experience eternal life. And be like, oh, man, I don't know if I can follow you. (laughs) It offends many people. And many people at that point in time stopped following Jesus. They liked him for the miracles. But the moment he started talking about he's the bread, if you eat my flesh, you'll have eternal life. And they didn't get what it was that Jesus was trying to communicate. Then we go to the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, this is interesting. Feast of Tabernacles is remembering, remember when, uh, the Mo- when Moses went to Mount Sinai, he got the Ten Commandments, and then they kept him in this box, and uh, Aaron's staff was in there too. It would be the Ark of the Covenant, which is representative of God's presence, and literally God's presence would be there. And the, the Feast of Tabernacles remembers the tent... The tent of meeting would be, this was before a temple, it was a tent that would be moved around through the desert before they found a permanent location for God's presence to be. And it was, and if you remember the, the account, there was a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during day, and that would be indicating of God's presence. And then Jesus makes this claim in John chapter 7, um, Oh, and also remember in that time when they're walking around, how, how did they in the desert fleeing? So they, they fled Egypt. They're walking around in the desert. Millions of people. Moses is leading them. And God miraculously provides for them uh, water in the desert. If you remember that account in Exodus. So Jesus then says, his claim is that he, one, he is the temple. In other words, the presence of God resides with him. And then he says this in, in John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. So he's making another claim of who he is. And people will be like, okay, wait a second. I, we knew, so back in that time when Jesus made that claim, there was a temple, right? So people would have to go into the temple, do their animal sacrifice to uh, pay for their sins, and then only the high priest could go in the Holy of Holies, and that's where God's presence was. I am making a point here pretty soon. I'm giving you a history lesson. But the point is, is that Jesus is making these claims, and then not only is he saying, come drink, all you thirst, then he says in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. So he's saying, he's relating back to Exodus, where God provides, miraculously provides water. We look at the miraculous sign of, of God by his presence, where the pillar of fire at night, where the tabernacle would reside. 
And now here's Jesus making these claims, which is interesting because remember, Jesus, after his resurrection, he began telling everybody of how he pre-existed in the beginning and how he was all through history woven in. And now he's using these symbols to talk about himself as a person. And the claim that he was making is he was the illuminating presence of God and God's life, God's saving gift from him, that Jesus would be the gift from God to all humanity. And again, some people believed, some people like, well, I'm confused by this, what is he saying? But typically, the people who had problems with Jesus were the religious people. I want you to, again, remember, you place yourself in that story. Would you be believing Jesus at that that moment? Because being you're all here in this building, I would consider, as much as we say we're not religious, right? We thought we're in a relationship with Jesus. Just by the nature of you coming to church regularly and being in God's word regularly makes you religious to some degree of the term religious. And so you would in many ways be the faithful at the time that Jesus arrived, and yet many of the religious people struggled with Jesus. Okay, the next feast is Hanukkah. Um, actually, in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, there's a feast, actually, it was called the Feast of uh, Dedication or Rededication, or today it's called, for the Jewish, they still celebrate it, the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah. They're all the same celebration. This is the rededication of, of the temple because in 140 BC, so BC is before Jesus arrived on the scene, so 140 years before Jesus arrived onto the scene, you have Judah Maccabee. Now, if you were in a history class, you would know, you would have studied about Judah Maccabee. And what he did is he said, the temple needs to be holy again. And the temple stopped being what it was meant to be. And it wasn't a sacred, holy place where God's presence resided. There was a lot of other activities. And so Judah Maccabee reestablished the, this holiness of the temple. And then Jesus makes this claim. So he's, he's talking about this feast. He's talking about um, the rededication. And he says, Jesus himself was the one to be set apart as the Holy One. So you see how he's always making these historical accounts and he's almost lapping over the historical account, which they would know. They would know the, the feasts. But then Jesus saying, guess what? I was even in that. I was a part of that. Then he goes on to probably the one that is, is the most outlandish for the Pharisees. That Then they wanted to kill him. And he says this in John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. The, the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I and the Father are one. So the, the thought of that it comes to this place of the religious struggled with a new way that, Jesus, that God was revealing himself to humanity through Jesus. 
And it made me realize, and actually I was, I was worshiping here this morning and I had a vision and the vision was, it was just these panels. Um, they were kind of like wall panels, actually very similar to the panels on the back wall of here of the church or these sound panels up here. And the panels started shifting and sliding down and everything was kind of changing. I prayed about that as we were worshiping. I said, God, what, what is that? Why am I seeing that? And, and I believe the Lord was saying that um, these institutions, these ways of doing things, your traditions, even your routines, your religiosity, Things are shifting. The way that you used to experience things, the way that things have been, are no longer going to be. And I wonder if this is a great example for us that that how people miss Jesus, it was the religious people that really struggled. Now, the people caught in sin, the people who were like, had no church or formal... Um, temple worship back then, but I would say church experience typically didn't have a problem with Jesus because they experienced his healing. They experienced his love, forgiveness, grace. But the ones that started to feel um, threatened by the change, the ones that started to feel insecure about the different language were the ones who started to put up barriers and were really troubled so much so as like, how do we get this guy to be quiet and to, we got to get rid of him. And that's what, why he ended up, ended up going to the cross. Now, Jesus had a plan for that, but they thought they were getting rid of a problem. In Isaiah 43... It says this, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, Old Testament, Isaiah, prophetic, prior to Jesus. But the interesting thing about prophetic language and prophetic words in the Bible is is it goes on, it perpetuates beyond a moment in time. So it was prophetic for Jesus' time, but it's prophetic for us in our time. Meaning that God is always doing something new. Now, here's the interesting thing. We don't have Jesus per se in physical form with us today. We have the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit moves and does something new, how are we going to respond? Are we going to say, hey, that's not the way we do it. Hey, that language is different. I'm not so sure about that language. And, and, And when we get uneasy and when we get uncomfortable, does it then become a threat? Does the move of God's Spirit become a threat that we want to close it down? We want to shut it down. See, that's what the religious people wanted to do with Jesus, but yet it was the gift of God that was coming to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. 
And I believe that we're in this season where God is shifting our culture. He's shifting so much in our world. I just want us to remain open to the possibility that when, when the Holy Spirit moves and it looks different, to stay open. To stay open. Because our natural flesh, whenever we feel uncomfortable, by the way, I, I want to share with you too, I believe that God is moving individually in your life and he's shifting some things for you and this is the spirit of God who's doing it. And some of you are very threatened by the fact that you feel insecure. <laughs> but I would encourage you that you keep pressing into Jesus, you keep pressing into his word and you keep pressing into the spirit of God who will guide you. And he'll care for you. And he won't let you down. There's another scripture here in 1 Corinthians. Verse 2, chapter 9. I mean, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, some would read that and say, well, that he's just talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about this. Would we leave this present world in our physical body? But I truly believe in the end days, in the times that we're going to be living in, that that scripture is for us today. That we need to be okay that realizing that the spirit of God in his move... We haven't seen what he wants to do before. We haven't even heard about it before, and we can't even imagine what it is that is going to take place. But yet we feel the stirring. We feel things shifting. We see the panels of society and, and cultures. Just everything's just shifting. And God, I, I believe, is telling us and encouraging us that as you're feeling that, don't go into this place where you're going to start opposing what the Spirit of God is actually doing. Because as he's moving and as he's stirring, it will get uncomfortable. It will. I bet, I wouldn't be surprised if 20, 15, 10, 15, 20 years from now, church is going to look nothing like this. I believe there will always be worship because he wants us to worship him. I believe there will always be the sharing of God's word because the word of God is where there's truth and life is the foundation of which we stand. I believe that Jesus will be front and center because he is our king. He is our Lord. But the structure, the form may look different. I don't know. It might look the same, but guess what? I know that he's always moving and changing because he comes in in a moment in time he always enters a culture he always enters a people in time and he's so desperate to reach people and guess what church we're okay there, there's been people who have come to the Lord here through Grace Capital Church. Love it. There's going to be a baptism here next week, and we're going to see, and we're going to celebrate, oh, at least 15 people getting baptized. I don't know. I, I Clap, because I said that prophetically, because uh, I don't know how many people are going to sign up. But 
And, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. But over the last 10 years, the number of people in the state of New Hampshire who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ has not changed. We're still at 2% of followers of Jesus in the state. That means, what are we going to do to reach 98% of this population with the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not going to be the one to strategize all of that. But I believe the Spirit of God is going to move and He's going to ask us to maybe do some things that are different. Now, you hear that message and you might just say, oh, that's for leaders of the church to determine. I'm not, I'm saying you are the church. And God's already stirring in some of you. He's already asked some of you to leave jobs. And it's very insecure place to be to say, I'm going to change a career midstream. God has already spoken to you and about a, a, a ministry he wants you to start, probably outside this church. And he's going to gather some people together. It could be in this church too, but he's going to gather some people together. And, and he's going to say, I'm with you. Would you go do this? And it's going to look so different. I just, I've been thinking about that. And I've been thinking, I'm placing myself in that story of all of those different accounts where Jesus was talking about things they would understand. Feasts, Passover, tabernacles. Jesus trying to bridge the gap of explanation. And people were really offended because... Because it, it sounded different. It looked different. And they couldn't quite comprehend. And it, and it rubbed them the wrong way. Because, well, our religious tradition is this. And I just wonder if the Spirit of God, as He begins to move amongst us, and move in our culture, and move through believers, followers of Jesus... I just, I don't want to be in that place where I resist the move of God. And if, if I have the, the tendency to maybe like, uh, I might struggle with that, then I've got to prep my heart ahead of time. And I'm thinking if I'm struggling, then maybe some of you might be struggling too. To be okay with something happening and moving and shaping that is different that then makes us a little uneasy that makes us a little insecure and the tendency could be to resist when the reality is he wants us to embrace are you open Just if you just take a moment and close your eyes and begin to ask the Spirit of God who is here in this room to check your heart, to see how pliable it may be or how rigid, or maybe you're not even thinking about it. Maybe it's just like, hey, I know my routine. I go to church on Sunday. I read my Bible every day. I pray. 
And then God says, but if I interrupt your routine, how would you be? Maybe he's going to do something in culture and he's going to show up in a way that is like, man, I've never seen that before. Well, because I haven't seen it, does it mean it's right? Does it mean it's wrong? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has fathomed what he is about to do. If we can't rationalize it, if we can't understand it, if we can't... Do we resist? Or do we say, Spirit of God who dwells inside of me, let my heart be always open. to your ways, to your will. Help me to be more flexible. The the image just came to my mind or the word just came to my mind is is this idea of a new wineskin. The reason why a new wineskin is so important because at that moment as the wine is fermenting, it has the ability, it's flexible. And it can expand and it can grow. An old wineskin loses its flexibility. In many ways, as the the new wine is wanting to go into an old wineskin, it will burst the old wineskin. It won't be able to be contained. And I believe the Lord is saying it's a new day and he wants to pour in new wine and he wants us to be new wineskins. Flexible. The able, the, have the ability to stretch to what the, the Spirit of God is doing. Lord, we pray that we would just continue to use us for your kingdom and for your glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way move in each one of us. Move in this church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this Mother's Day, I want to also pray a a prayer of blessing over you moms. I want to say you have been the champions to so many. You've nurtured, you've loved, you've put on band-aids, you've hugged, somebody from our church posted this the other day and I thought it was so cute I wanted to read it to you. It says this. Yesterday we picked up the boys from daycare and on the ride home I asked my four-year-old son what did he uh, do at school? He excitedly told me I'm working on a project for Mother's Day and it's all about you. I asked him what do you know about mommy and he listed a few things. Like Well, you like football, you love me, you're pretty, you love Jesus. And then he said something that stopped me in my tracks. He said, you make mistakes. It took all I had to choke back my tears. 
As a mother, we often question if we're doing the very best for our children and providing a positive, loving example. We overanalyze our every move, and this, this simple but true statement comes along from the lips of my four-year-old that validates in me that I'm doing it right. He knows mistakes are okay. He knows grace. He knows forgiveness. He knows right and wrong. He knows failure and growth. He knows perfection is not our goal, but always giving our best. When we think our children aren't watching or listening, they are, they always are. Moms, I know there's some things in the back of your minds like, oh, if I was just a better mom, guess what? They don't need you to be a better mom. They just are so happy that you can be called mom. We honor you today, mothers. This Mother's Day, you mean the world to maybe youngsters. You mean, maybe mean the world to those who are have children who are in their 40s and 50s. That means you've been momming a long time. <laughs> and for the kids that still live in your house, in their 30s, you're still mom. And sometimes mom can be a little tough too and kick them out. You can kick them out. I give you permission. Well, let me just pray a prayer of blessing over you moms. Jesus, I, I thank you for the, the gift that moms are. God, you, you created moms so different than dads that we, we could not do what you, we need to do to raise our kids without the, without the care, without the nurture, without the soft touch of a mom. Father, for those mothers who have experienced heartache, I, I pray even in this moment that you would heal their hearts. Father, I know it's on the heart of so many moms that kids who have been wayward, Father, they were just saying, if my kids would just come home, if they would just come to Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would draw them. For the moms who have already lost loved ones prematurely, the pain of that. And Father, I pray healing for them this Mother's Day, your comfort and your care. Father, for those who have wanted to be moms who have not yet been uh, moms, Father, we just know your timing's perfect. Your ways are perfect. Let those women continue to trust in you. Father, we want to say we celebrate and honor our mothers today. Jesus' name. Amen. And to honor our moms, yeah, let's give our moms a big hand. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If this ministry has impacted you and you would like to partner with Grace Capital Church to impact the communities around you, please join us at gccnh.com forward slash partners.